Today the church celebrates Jesus Christ as king of the universe. So I think the first question is, what, what does it mean to be a king? And I think basically, a king is sort of defined as the person who has the ultimate authority in a territory. So sometimes you say, you know, uh, a man's home is his castle, you know, that he's, he's in charge of his house, whatever. Uh, but the idea that the king has a whole, a whole country. Uh, and in a sense, he imposes his will on, on that territory. And so one manifestation of that is for Christ as king is simply to have creation. St. Thomas Aquinas says that God is present in sort of multiple ways. And he says the first way that God is present in creation is everywhere by his essence, presence, and power. What that basically means is God is everywhere in creation because he is the one who is and he shares existence with creation. He holds it in being. And if he weren't holding it in being, it would collapse. And so in one sense, all of creation is, is Christ's kingdom because it's by his will that he keeps it existing. But in another way, we can talk about, as, uh, talk about Jesus Christ as my king. Jesus is my king. What does that mean? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas says that a second layer of Christ's presence or God's presence in, in the universe is in rational creatures by faith and by love. So in those beings, angels and humans, who are able to understand God can be present in a special way, over and above just simple creation. That God can be present in a second and extraordinary way by faith and by love. And I think it's in that sense that we can talk about Christ as my king. That if I really believe in him and I really love him, then he is the one whose rule, whose will, lives in me. And that means... I think in one sense we are, we are subjects of Christ. You know, to have Christ as king means I am an obedient subject. Now, it's not you know, the subject of a tyrant you know, who seeks to terrorize his people. You know, we are beloved subjects. We are subjects that the sovereign has given his life for. But we are still those who hear the king's voice and obey. And I think that means that on some level... Christ the King gets the last word in our lives. And I want to talk about this uh, in relation to the, it seems like the ubiquitous topic of mental health. You know, what does mental health have to do with Christ the King? And there are sort of three aspects, sort of personally and societally, but I, I really only want to focus on the third. So, because I've belabored the other two in other homilies, and we're not going to have a 30-minute homily today. Thanks be to God. And uh, the, first, the first way I think that, you know, Crisis King has to do with mental health is that, you know, he, there's a way he forbids bad coping strategies, you know. So you're having a bad day, you're not allowed to go out and, you know, get drunk or engage in casual, casual sex or something like that. Um, you know, there, there are things that are, are forbidden, you know. Even spending, you know, lots of money on mindless things for no good purpose. Um, even things more serious like 
suicide. You know, I think of two friends from high school who told me that they, they would have killed themselves if they, if they didn't think that that would be uh, displeasing to Jesus. So there was a way that that faith that they had pushed them away from bad coping strategies. In another sense, Crisis King asks us to do a lot of things that are actually very beneficial for our mental health. You know, going to uh, church on a weekly basis, very good for mental health. Daily prayer. Serving others, serving the poor, also great for mental health. You know, so there's a, a lot of things that uh, God asks us to do that are just good for us. You know, not only can they be spiritual things that give praise to God and are acts of obedience, they're just helpful things. You know, resting you know, on the Sabbath, taking some time off, not always working. So these are, are two ways that I think Christ the King relates to, to mental health. But the third way, which I don't think gets talked about as much, and I don't think I've talked about as much, has to do with the, the sort of, I think, particular experience of mental anguish in some way and hearing God's voice in, in the midst of that. I think so often... Today, you know, we, we talk about mental health just in the, in the feeling sense of it. You know, I feel depressed. I feel anxious. I, you know, feel suicidal. I, you know, feel all these things. Feel worthless. Feel guilty. You know, it's about the feelings. But St. Thomas Aquinas, who I think is the, besides Jesus, the greatest psychologist who ever lived, St. Thomas, in looking at the human person, said there's, it's a very complex system because we're dealing with rational creatures who don't just feel things, they don't just have passions, they also have ideas. And so there's this kind of dynamic system that St. Thomas talks about. He says, we're, so what we feel, what we feel can feed into ideas. And what we think can then affect how we feel. So to give it just a very generic uh, sort of example, um, you know, you think of two people who, who go to the gym and really push themselves and have a really hard workout. And one person thinks, oh man, that was great. You know, I'm, I'm much healthier now, you know, and this is going to really help my, my health. And I feel, oh, I feel those endorphins coming in. Oh yeah, you know, that was, that was really great. And I love just really pushing myself. You know, I got a, a, a PR on my run or whatever. And, and that person, even though they're very exhausted and sweaty and tired, their experience of that exhaustion and that tiredness was not, not that bad in one sense because of the words, because of the rational understanding they had of their feeling of tiredness. And then you have people like me who go to the gym and when we push ourselves, we think, oh yeah, now I remember why I never come here and never do this. <laughs> I'm going to go home and have a cupcake. Uh, it's, a it's a totally different experience even if it's the exact same sort of activity and same tiredness because they're different words, bad words you know, I think the, the first person at the gym had the right words, better words and so to believe in, in Christ as king is to say okay, what is his judgment on the words that I'm thinking when I'm, when I'm feeling things I want to take an example from uh, pop culture there's a song 
um, uh, called You Say by uh, Laura Daigle. And it goes through these kind of three, three movements, which I think is, is very sort of uh, interesting and uh, illustrative of, of what I mean. So she starts out with the opening scenario is, you know, things are bad. Uh, I keep fighting the voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than the sum of every high and low? Remind me just who I am because I need to know. So she's expressing like you get the sense this is a woman who's feeling bad. But also, in addition to these feelings, there's this script in, in her mind. There are these words. And, and she can't intellectually make sense of what's going on. And then there's the reply. What is she here from Jesus? You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I'm yours. So what we have is the, the second movement, that there's this openness to hearing what Jesus thinks about her experience. She's feeling these things. She doesn't ignore the feelings. She doesn't deny them. She acknowledges them. And she brings them to prayer, and she hears this response. Okay. But the important thing is that's not enough. It's not, it's not enough for Jesus to simply say, you know, your feelings are wrong. Here's the reality. You know, that you are loved. It's not enough. What actually needs to happen is it needs to be believed. Need to believe. And that's the third part, the third sort of verse. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you I find my worth. In you I find my identity. And I think that's the necessary conclusion to the song. That it's not just about hearing the words of love, it's about her choosing to accept them. And I think that's what it means to be a subject of Christ the King. That Christ is King, and so Christ gets the last word. Because we let him have it. Because we let him have it. And so I think this is an important kind of facet of the, the, the struggle for mental health that we talk about as a society. You know, what are the words that are floating around? And because in, in talking to lots of people, you know, they trust me with things, and, and a lot of the words that are out there are very bad. You know, the words that people have in their mind. You know, life is terrible and it'll never get better. You will never change. How could you have done whatever it is you did. You're terrible. Why don't you just end it all? These are the, the words that come. And being words of untruth, you know, it's possible to combat them, you know, by ourselves with the help of friends, therapists, all that sort of thing. Those are all good. But I think it adds something. I think it adds something when the reply is coming not from a human being, but from the God-man Jesus Christ, who is king of the universe. That puts a bit more of a definitive stamp on the judgment that these kinds of words are wrong. 
And that's, I think, why in a particular way faith can be so helpful because we believe something not merely as, oh, well, I like that idea, so I'm going to choose to believe it, but I believe God is saying this. That's key to faith. And so that's how I think it, it can operate on a, a personal level. But this is, you know, this is something that also has, I think, societal you know, implications, you know, because we're not just dealing with our own issues as individual persons with friends and therapists and priests and whatnot. You know, we as a society are thinking, well, what's, what's good in terms of mental health? There's a lot of different debates and ideas out there. And just to take the most hot-button example of all, so I was, I was reading a book recently, uh, I can't remember the author's name, but she won a Pulitzer Prize, um, and it's called Becoming Nicole, and basically the story of a little identical twin boy named Wyatt, who ends up identifying as transgender and having surgery, and then identifying as Nicole, and so the book is Becoming Nicole. And what really struck me in, in reading this book and listening to this story was kind of the first like real key manifestation, which happened very, very young, which is kind of typical of classic cases of gender dysphoria. So he's a little boy, he's like two and a half years old at the time, incredibly young. And, you know, it's, it's bath time for him and his twin brother, and dad's giving them a bath. And uh, they're having a snack, and Wyatt sort of puts down his, his snack, and, and he looks at his uh, father, and he says, Daddy, I hate my penis. And that was this sort of expression, this word that, that he had in his mind. And it's interesting, you know, so the two reactions of his parents. So dad's immediate reaction was to pick up his son and give him a big hug and lots of kisses and say, it's going to be all right, son. It's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. And in, inwardly, he was kind of very distraught, like, oh my gosh, what, what's going on with my little boy that he feels this way? Mom's reaction was more along the lines of, well, there's nothing wrong. He's just a little different. I'm going to buy him some girl toys. And that was her reaction. So I don't want to, to dive more into the issue, but I think the question that sort of comes up in terms of wanting to love other people who are encountering any other kind of distress or difficulty, I think part of it is listening to what are the words, what are the words that they have, and what is it that Christ would say? Not only he who is king, but he who is love. What would he say, and what were the words that he would give? And I think that's something, too, that Christians can add and need to add to the debate and the discussion that's, that's out there on these issues. And I think it's one of those ways that we realize, you know, the gospel has social implications. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, he didn't come to establish a nation state, you know. And that's, that's not sort of the, the purpose of his reign. But if you look at the history of the world and the history of Christians in the world, 
Christians and Christianity has profound implications for our society and how we deal with a whole sort of range of issues. And that voice, I think, needs to be heard, which means, first of all, we need to be listening to what Jesus is saying to us about our own issues. Because if we can't hear that, how can we hear what he's trying to say to others? So I want to leave you with the words of the letter to the Hebrews. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is like us in every way, yet without sin.